Okay, well, thank you, uh, Liz, for inviting me. Um, uh, yes, I am a student here, a very mature student, I'd add. Um, I could be talking, I think, probably for the little section Roseland's going to be speaking in, which is student-led uh, initiatives. Um, but I thought I would sort of tell my story a bit, because it is an initiative uh, in a country I really didn't know um, and have no background in um, uh, doing what I did. Uh, um, you know, so my story is really about um, uh, being a social entrepreneur in a war zone. And when I think of being an entrepreneur, uh, which is what I was in my previous life before politics, it was about making money. But being an entrepreneur is also about looking for opportunities out there to do something that maybe other people aren't doing. And so when I say I'm a social entrepreneur, I went into a war zone figuring out how could I be helpful in a way that maybe other people aren't being helpful. And so I had just finished my field research, I hasten to add, in Rwanda, where I'm looking at uh, education policy in Rwanda, on February 24th. And I saw a post on Instagram by a friend of mine who was on the Polish border with a bus and was moving people away from the refugee centers further into Europe. And I was supposed to be going scuba diving, but I canceled uh, my scuba diving and I said to my friend, can I come and join you for four days just to try and, and help out, see what I can do? And so I went out there, um, changed my clothes from warm to getting, uh, dealing with cold weather. And uh, I went out there and, uh, you know, we were shuttling people away and I stayed a bit longer. I was there for two weeks and we were moving people away. But one of the stories I kept hearing about was that people were charging people a lot of money to get away from the war zone, uh, particularly from around Kyiv. So my friend, who's Latvian, um, had to go back to Riga. So I said to him, can you find me three buses? Because I want to go into Ukraine. So he said, sure, but I'm not letting you have my quarter of a million euro buses. I'll find you three secondhand buses from Lithuania. So I, I, I got these three buses. He sent a friend with me um, who spoke, I'm going to say Russian. He didn't speak uh, Ukrainian. And so we sort of went in, and I went in to... Uh, around Kyiv, and we were taking people away um, from the war zone to the border, back to where I initially uh, started. And over the next few weeks, as the Russians were pushed away, um, we found that we were sort of less busy. And so then, the next thing I heard about, there were a lot of people getting away from Mariupol. So um, the bus drivers I had, which were from Lithuania, didn't know the roads. So I figured out I had to contact a national bus company, and I figured they needed work. So um, I contacted one of the national bus companies, and I said, okay, I want to go down to Zaporizhia, because there are a lot of people down there who are getting away from Mariupol, and can I have some buses and a bus driver, and how much will you charge me? And so I negotiated a deal, and um, which, by the way, I was sort of funding myself at this stage. Um, and I started moving people away from who were from Mariupol and taking them up to Lviv, which was safer for them. Um, over the next uh, month or two, um, when unfortunately the Russians then got control of Mariupol, there were less people to move away. 
So then I had to go to the east and I decided to go to Kharkiv because uh, the, I was hearing that there were a lot of people in some of the smaller villages who couldn't get away. They couldn't move, they had no money and no means to get away and were under constant bombardment. Um, so then I had, when I went out there, it was difficult to find a bus driver who would come with me because I'm going into a war zone. So I said, fine, I, you know, I'll go in. You know, who's coming with me? And I found uh, two bus drivers to come with me with a bus. And so once they saw that this crazy Brit um, was willing to go into a war zone with buses, I got more bus drivers to actually come with me. But then I had two other problems that I was facing. Well, that was the first problem, was getting bus drivers to go into a war zone. The second problem was, of course, because I was doing this for free, a lot of the people didn't trust me. They thought that perhaps uh, I was taking them into Russia because this is for free and maybe this was a secret way to take them into Russia. So uh, unfortunately, I then had to um, charge them some money. So I charged them uh, 10 grivni, which is the equivalent of 10p. Uh, and they felt, okay, this must be real because if they're charging me for money, this has to be real and they're going to take me to safety. So um, I started, um, I spent a lot of time, I probably spent about six months in the east part of the country, around Izium and a lot of the other villages around there, just moving more and more people away. And by this time I had 20 buses that I was working with uh, and paying for. And um, I think by, by probably the middle of the summer, I had um, moved about 11,000 people, mainly women and children, away from the frontline villages that were getting bombed. Um, and then I, I had a massive challenge. I then, uh, the local intelligence, the SBU, contacted me and they said, you know, we want to try and get a thousand people through a particular checkpoint, but we need somebody who will move them. Will you do that? So I said, sure. Um, so this was July. And so I'm, I, 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 I drive out, because at this point I'm in Lviv, so I drive across the country I'm supposed to organize this on a Monday in July, arrive at 6.30, I get a phone call saying, um, I'm afraid we may have to call off the evacuation of a thousand people because the army have laid landmine, they've laid mines rather, on the 500 meters between the Russian checkpoint and the Ukrainian checkpoint. So I said, this is ridiculous. I've come all the way out here to try and move these people and I said, I want those mines moved by tomorrow or figure out a way we can get a path through the mines. But I will be there 7.30 in the morning, click. Um, so um, I, I went to the bus station in Kharkiv and there were 20 municipal buses there. There were these lime green buses there. There were ambulances and they're all ready to go. And they said, we've sorted your problem, Mr. Newmark. Don't worry. So. Um, I'm driving, so I send the buses off ahead of me, and um, I'm busy following them. Um, I'm about 10 minutes behind them, and I'm driving down some dirt road, and I hear this loud bang. And I think, shit, you know, I've blown a tire in my car. Have I got a spare tire? So I, I say to Ehor, I think we've blown a tire. And he says, no, 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 that was just a mortar bomb that landed seven meters, 70 meters behind us. So we, we sort of sped along, we arrived at the checkpoint, 
And the head of the army in that place, so about 100 people there, sort of pointed his finger at me, said, come with me. And he took me around the corner from the checkpoint. And they had actually moved these mines to imagine the road on both sides there. They had moved the mines to this side. Now I know the difference between what is a landmine, which is you can trigger by stepping on it, and an anti-tank mine, which is quite big, but you could flick a switch at the side and literally lift it and move it. So they had cleared a path for me of 500 meters. So, so that was one problem resolved. And I said, why did you lay these mines when I knew they were coming? Yes, but we thought they were, Russians were going to use the people as a human shield. So we wanted, didn't want the tanks to come across following these people. So the next problem was, they then cancelled it again on me, saying, well, we're worried that Russians will infiltrate with these people. So at this stage, I'm sort of standing there, wondering, you know, how, how am I going to persuade this guy? This uh, general suddenly turns up. He sort of is like a Norman Schwarzkopf. I don't know if you guys remember him. Look-alike with a ponytail. And a huge guy. And he comes up to me. And he's sort of curious that this Brit is there trying to sort of organize all this. So the, his first question is, he's worried about Boris Johnson, who is stepping down at this point, and that, is our Britain going to still be supporting? I said, yes, don't worry, the British are going to still support. And I said, but what, you could do me a favor and tell that captain over there to please let the people, I said, I don't know how many people are at the Russian checkpoint, but if they're willing to walk through a minefield, uh, I think we should let them do it. Anyway, he barks in order, and they do, and they start coming through and we get the first 200 through. And what was extraordinary, it was sort of dystopian because there were uh, you know, old people pulling one bag along. There was a lady with two Alsatian dogs. There was another lady carrying a cat with her bag. Um, there was a, a woman who had pushed her mother 15 kilometers in a wheelchair. I said, why, did you, why couldn't you drive her to the checkpoint at least? The Russians stopped us and said, if I want to go to the checkpoint, you have to get out and push your mother in the wheelchair. And um, so at the end of the day, we, we ended up getting, within three and a half hours, 1,015 uh, mainly women and children and elderly people through this checkpoint. And that's, this is sort of one, certainly one of my abiding uh, memories of my time there. By the time September came, um, most of the civilians that I could evacuate, we had evacuated. And so I, I did a pivot, as any entrepreneur would, because there's no more business there for me. And so I started focusing on evacuating amputees. And um, there weren't enough ambulances to, to take them from the frontline hospitals to um, get treatment. And the problem with many of the hospitals in Ukraine was they couldn't deal with severe trauma victims. So then I started moving amputees to the Polish border, to Zeshov, and getting them airlifted to hospitals, mainly in Germany, who could deal with trauma patients. And my final pivot came when the weather started getting cold, because the Ukrainians were doing an amazing job, particularly in Kharkiv region, where I spent a lot of time pushing people out of a lot of these small villages. So there were a lot of deoccupied villages but, uh, that were probably three-quarters bombed, but people wanted to go back there. And um, so I then started bringing warm clothing, warm blankets, and a lot of humanitarian aid. And by the time sort of my anniversary had come up uh, in mid-February, 
um, we'd moved, I realized, over 31,000 women and children away from frontline villages to safety in Western Ukraine. And that, in essence, is my story. And thank you for listening. And if you've got any questions, please go ahead.